Welcome back, listeners, to the second part of my conversation with Meiqi Moa. Let's listen in while Meiqi shares how her son has progressed, how her journey has affected her mental health, some of her anxieties about her son's future, and why it is so important to build an inclusive and supportive community. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, what what you were uh, were thinking or were feeling because you talked a little bit about how when you were going to take him to um, to the to the psych the child psychologist. Am I correct? Psychologist mm-hmm. or psychologist? Yes, you're correct. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. mentioned that you uh, shared it with your family. Um, yeah. A lot of times we hear these things and um, people don't, they, they think it's very private. So they don't, you know, they just want to find out for themselves first before they share it with their family. But you did it where you were open from the beginning with your family. Right. Can you right. talk a little bit about that and why you chose to do that? Um, um, culturally, I just think it's so important in the Hmong culture just because we rely so much on each other, mm-hmm. more like a tribal family, right? Right. right? And we do so much together. And because the people that we had to inform are just a part of Tay's life on a daily basis, mm-hmm. it was so important to be transparent about it. Just because we already knew there's a stigma behind it, we already knew how the community would react. And that's why my husband and I decided to do separate meetings with both sets of parents and to inform our siblings from different sides at separate times prior to getting him the diagnosis. Just to explain and educate them what autism is and why he needs um, to get seen to see if he's on the spectrum because... This is why, you know, by giving them examples of some of his symptoms, they were not happy. And sometimes I feel like some of our siblings were defending um, his characteristics because they maybe didn't want us to feel bad, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't want us to overthink about it. Mm-hmm. So in a way, maybe they're just trying to make us feel better about it. Or sometimes I think they could have been in denial too. Mm-hmm to create excuses because I think a lot of times our community does that where we just continue to say something to make ourselves feel better so we don't have to address the problem right away right and um even because this is my career some family members mentioned that it's because I've been overtaken by my career that it's made me crazy and 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 that's why my son my that I think my son's on the spectrum is because of my work, but how can that happen when he was actually diagnosed and I don't have the key or the authority to, to diagnose him? Mm-hmm. So in a way, I wasn't crazy. <laughs> and some people believe, um, especially the elders believe that because this is my work, sometimes you're hit with karma, meaning that like, because you specialize in some t- something, sometimes because of the gift that you have or the career that you're in, you're bound to take care of somebody that has those things. Oh, wow. And so some people actually culturally believe that too. And when I heard that, I was really sad yeah. um, just because I can't believe anybody would say that, but it's old traditional thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, some people think it's because um, that 
I went and traveled overseas and I didn't know I was pregnant and maybe I did something to him when I was, when he was conceived and, you know, and I did feel some blame on me. I put some blame on me because when it comes to cultural peace, it made me feel bad. So then that's when I started thinking, maybe it is me, right? For just that quick second, because I just felt so bad from the cultural side. And sometimes people think it's karma. Um, I have relatives that have kids on the spectrum, and when they ask from a spiritual perspective to look at their child, they say it's a deceased ancestor trying to come back because something happened in the past. And it's unfortunate because sometimes they think it's a spiritual battle, but everybody is entitled to their own belief. And it sometimes it, it, it could be it could be a spiritual battle. We don't know, right? Because everything is just so mystifying. Right, right. But for me, it was really hard. It was just hard to educate people about it, and it was just really hard for people to understand it. And I think what was harder for me was when people were apologizing to me when they found out that my child was diagnosed especially coworkers. And I said to them, don't be sorry for me. Just help me embrace his gift and just help me by asking me like how he's doing. It's okay. Like I, my husband and I, we don't care about his diagnosis. We just want to be able to support him. Um, I think that's what any parent would want for their individual loved ones. Um, It's just unfortunate that people felt like they had to apologize. People felt, that I was calling my son stupid when I never said he was stupid. So, you know, emotionally, it was really hard for me the first six months of his diagnosis. It wasn't, it wasn't because of his diagnosis. It was because the culture didn't understand what autism was. Right. So I think that's why it pushed me to advocate so much for him, just because, like, people are still afraid of the word autism. They just yeah. don't understand it. Yeah, it just goes to show you how deep um, the stigma really is uh, to the point where people are apologizing to you when you tell them about it. When really, why are they apologizing? You've done nothing wrong. Your child has done nothing mm-hmm. wrong. There's nothing to apologize for. But I think a lot of it um, is that it's instilled in our psyche to think that when we talk about um, mental health, you know, we immediately go to Know, sympathy, but not mm-hmm. not empathy, which is two very different things. And when mm-hmm. when they apologize to you like that, it's just uh, it in turn makes you feel bad. Um, but I, I applaud you so much, Michi, to be able to get past that and to understand that there's so much work to be done. Um, and I, I I don't look at the at this as karma, my chi. I look at it as, you know, you have been prepared to be the mother of someone like that with autism. Not because it's karma. Um, I think you have had you you have the advantage of taking care of him. And I think you know, looking at what you're doing now in your work to be a trailblazer, and not only that to be able to speak about it through a personal you know, personal connection. And I think that will, will let people understand a little bit more. Did you, mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe um, 
your family's reaction was just something that they've lived some they're kind of victim to it as well a victim to the stigma itself and have you seen them mm-hmm. overcome it have you seen them come um i don't know if the word is come around but have they learned yeah. to you know embrace and be defenders yeah. i guess yeah so right so i think because we're so proactive of informing all of our family members that are a part of his life, and even our close friends that have children that when they come over and interact or when we go over and do some gatherings, I think everybody has a right to feel anxious, right, about anything that they don't know about in life in general. Right. And it's okay to validate those feelings. But as a parent for my child who doesn't have that voice to support him yet, it is my responsibility to advocate for him, to educate people. And I stress about it so much when I get the opportunity to do that to our loved ones. And because of that proactive education and, it's, and because of the proactive tools we're giving him, they've seen so much change in him in a good way. Right. Like he listens now. He doesn't even bolt out the door because he used to be a runner uh-huh. and he would just not look back. And that was something scary from a safety concern and just, you know, losing him in a crowd. And now he can just wait if you tell him to stop or you just tell him to, to listen. And they've seen the changes and they've seen how much therapy has impacted his life. And so sometimes now I get referrals because family members say, hey, talk to my sister. She's going through it. She might be able to give you some resources. So they're acknowledging it in that perspective. Mm-hmm. And also they'll reach out to me with their own child and say, my child is exhibiting this thing. Can you figure out like what kind of resources are out there? So like I've also created a trusting network mm-hmm. um, for people to come to me, right, for some consultation based on how vocal I am for my kid. I'm very active in a lot of different mom groups and especially some online support groups. And I just think it's so valuable to be that voice. And funny story, my dad was wondering, hey, how come um, your son doesn't really look you in the eye when you talk to him? This is when my son just started um, getting therapy. And I was explaining to my dad that sometimes people on the spectrum, they don't like the eye contact because it's just too much for their brain to process because it's too intense for them. Like for them, even though it's visual, it's almost like you're reading into their mind when you look at them directly in the eye. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was explaining that to my dad, why my son avoids that. So my dad was trying very hard to have him look at him in the eye. So I said, well, this is what his therapist has taught us. If you really truly want to engage him from a eye-to-eye contact, so we, I, my dad picked up a toy card because he, he really loves toys. And my dad put it in his eyes and he said, hey, look at Grandpa. I'm talking to you. And then he put the card to his eyes and then, my son looked directly at him um, in his eyes and made my dad smile. And I think that's when it kind of like sparked a light bulb in my head thinking that, oh, maybe he's starting to understand this. Like mm-hmm. that this is why my son's a little bit different and this is why he needs some resources and tools and that we're not trying to treat him. For us, we just think it's a great, amazing gift and ability. And we're just providing that extra help to get him to where he needs to be. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so important. I think that um, it's important for them. And I'm, I'm so proud of you that you continue to um, to be an advocate for your son because I think even for your family, they can see that 
um, it's made a difference. And I think that's all that we can mm-hmm. ask for. That's all that we can uh, ask for as parents for our kids is, you know, to be an advocate for them when they need it, to create an inclusive world. Um, right. And for everyone else to try to, you know, mm-hmm. to try to overcome their own biases, um, which is mm-hmm. why you do the work you do. And it's so important, Michi. It's so important um, because there's... There's a lot of work to be done. There's uh, just so much right. work to be done. And I think there's a lot of, uh, there's stigma, but there's a lot of fear as well. Because I don't think people understand. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a lot of times people do feel, um, they do apologize. Because maybe they do understand. Right. Or they, I don't know if they understand, but they they think that there's a lot of, um work I guess that you have to do whether your life is going to be difficult right because you have someone Mm -hmm. who is a special need person and so they immediately go there because they think there's no no improvement but you're proof that if you get help early on Mm -hmm. you know your child can thrive and Mm -hmm. that's really all all that we can ask for as parents right Um, no and Right. Um, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And then what do you, I guess, you know, even we talk about the cultural barrier. What do you have um, as an, what's your advice for someone, for parents who are um, themselves dealing with this? Yeah, um, just remember, take baby steps. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be overwhelming um, just because autism is so new still. And people, because there's no cure to it, people see it as something very scary. But you don't necessarily need a cure for everything. Um, I talked to a lot of self-advocates that are individuals that are young adults and old adults that are on the spectrum Mm -hmm. and they're doing amazing things and and it's because of their ability on the spectrum they have great memorization skills that they just are able to be so profoundly incredibly intelligent i don't know if you heard of greta thunberg Mm -hmm. she's a very young weather activist in sweden Right. And she's just amazing, and she's on the spectrum. Wow, and, I didn't like, know that. And when I, yeah, so when I try to like educate people, even Albert Einstein is on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. When I like educate people, I just say, you know, it's an amazing ability. Just embrace autism and all disabilities. I think that's my message: is that the diagnosis is scary, but the diagnosis is what gives you the doors and opportunities for health insurance to pay for these services to help your child maintain services. It's so unfortunate that in the U.S. our our health insurance companies are so greedy and they always need a prior authorization or some kind of diagnosis to continue the care or to start something. But if people can see it that way, just to get the support and tools, I hope they remember that the diagnosis is just an open opportunity for more help. Right. Don't think of it as a 
a disability, don't think of it as a disadvantage. Think of it as an advantage to just help prepare your loved one to become more independent. Because one thing that I always remind people um, that I see in the Hmong community that's very sad is that because elders don't want to talk about disability, these elders that are in their 70s and 80s, also with their own disabilities, are raising adult children with physical and mental disabilities because they've been in such a confined environment that they don't know how to be independent. And one thing that is unfortunate is that they're, they're hurting the individual because when the elders pass away, the individual goes to the state or else they go to another family member that may not be equipped to take care of that individual. And it's like you're doing more harm for the individual. And every individual has their own feeling, their own voice, their own ideas, their own personalities. And just remember, as a parent or anybody going through this, your child is their own self, and you just want to be inclusive. By being inclusive, you just continue to build that for your child. And sometimes it's going to be a very tough road, even through the education system, because I'm experiencing that right now as a mom mm-hmm. to advocate for my child to get like special education support. And sometimes as a person with multiple backgrounds from a ethnic um, world of being Hmong and, and Hmong American, um, it's hard for me because in our Asian culture, we're taught to be quiet. We're taught to listen. Like everybody's taught to listen and be quiet, but we're just, I think we've always been taught to respect our elders, to respect people in different professionals. And because of that mindset, we sometimes can't be that voice to advocate for a child because of the cultural barrier. So when you have another cultural barrier on top of being a parent, you just have to try to overcome that piece. Right. And just remember, you have to be that advocate regardless of how afraid you are. Because yeah. if you're afraid and your voice, you feel like your voice doesn't even matter, you're not even going to get the opportunity to be that person for your child. And that's where I encourage you to just speak up, ask questions, and just continue to listen to your parent gut. Yeah, I think that's so important is to just listen to your you know, your gut as a mother or father um, because you're right. You know, we are taught, I mean, uh, you know, coming from the Asian background, we are taught not to make waves, not to question, um, and to always listen, you know, our elders are right. And our elders come from that uh, particular generation, um, I think, because we do also suffer from being... Um, discriminated against and so you don't question whoever's in power Um, and so then we pass that on on to the next generation and I think we're at a very critical time right now where we're you know we don't have to do that anymore and uh, I think it's important that you are you know you are out there listening to your gut and you're out there helping your child because I do see some unfortunate um, situations where children could have gotten help and you just wonder how in the world um, you just wonder how much more fulfilling or thriving that person could have been if they received mm-hmm. help and that's you know very that's, um, that makes me 
very sad, I guess. I don't know if sad is the right word, but um, mm-hmm. you, know, you think about those things and it, it does affect you. Um, and I also mm-hmm. think, you know, I also think a little bit, I don't know if you ever feel this, Michi, but sometimes we were taught, at least in, in the Hmong culture, that what you're given or your child, um, how your child is, is what has been handed down to you from God or what has been given to you um, as a gift and you don't question what he or he has done or you don't, you know, and so you just accept your your fate, right? And mm-hmm. I think that um, that oftentimes plays into why people don't seek help or at least in the medical mm-hmm. world. And um, that, of course, goes back to uh, the cultural barriers, you know, of why things happen. Or, you know, like you said earlier, you know, the ancestors have passed this child on to you um, because of whatever mm-hmm. may have happened way back in ancestral politics, I guess. Um, right. So you just accept it. You know, you just accept your child for who right. or she is. But I think there's a lot of, um, you know, there, there's, there's something to be addressed there. And uh, right. for you to do that, I think it has helped your own family members to see that there is an alternative than just accepting right. your situation. Um, right. And like I, like I say to my family members, sometimes those tough conversations, addressing the elephant in the room, mm-hmm. are opportunities to create change and to do better. And when you said that um, with the Hmong community, just back in your comment about how people think it's their fate, Mm-hmm. Sometimes I like to challenge people to think outside the box and say, what if it was your fate to be the voice for your child right. instead of accepting the fate that he or she is that way, but for you to continue to fight for them. And that's where I want to challenge your listeners about being the voice for their loved ones, being the voice for themselves, because autism and mental health in general are just some of the biggest things that I am passionate about mm-hmm. and also addressing trauma and people continue to live in silos and to not talk about these things. And we need to overcome those to move right. forward right. and to heal together. Yes. Very, very true. Um, so speaking of mental health, and I know it's so very important to you, mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you how it has, you know, how this whole experience has affected your mental health. And can you share a little bit about how you take care of your own mental health? Hi. So, you know, I get really emotional because I think that's just how I've been raised by my family. And my mom is very emotional. So she just kind of runs in our blood. And so I used to care a lot about what people thought about me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I used to be very affected about comments about me because I always wanted to feel liked and appreciated. And I've come to a point in my life where it's okay to validate and have those feelings, but you don't need to be liked by everybody because you're going to come to terms of disagreeing with friends, coworkers, family members, just people in the community, and you're going to agree, disagree, and disagree, and agree to disagree. And um, that has helped me be able to keep up with my mental health for my child. Um, it's a lot tougher when you you have a child that has a 
uh, disability because, like, for a while, I thought I just had to be really strong for my kiddo. Because if I wasn't strong for him, who else could be strong for him, right, from a mom perspective? And I actually broke down, um, like I said earlier, in, in about, like, the sixth month. I was so t- tired of revalidating why he was on the spectrum to people and just re-educating. I was just so burnt out, and I was just emotionally challenged, and I cried to my husband finally about it. And he was just like, just keep on doing the job that you do, and, you know, you'll you'll definitely make a change. And it's true, because a lot of people are, are coming to me with these similar feelings and experiences from a cultural barrier. Um, but I will be honest, sometimes I feel alone, like I don't have friends to support me, or siblings to support me because they don't have a child going through this. So sometimes it's really hard to even like talk to anybody about this because you don't want to burden people and you don't want them to feel bad because they're not going through it. Mm -hmm. And so you just don't have a support, right? So that's why I look for online support with other moms with children with disabilities, children on the spectrum. And we try to do things together too outside, meet up and and it's been great. Um, when you find somebody that's going through the same thing as you are, it helps you so much with your mental health uh, because they have the same concerns, the same um, validated feelings as you do as a parent. Because right. I think majority of us are very scared that when we're not here anymore, physically on earth, what's going to happen to our kid? What's gonna, who's going to love them as much as we do as the parent? And I think that's everybody's fear. Um, just because they have a disability, you just need that extra love, right? Extra mm-hmm. attention for them. And you just, you just don't know because this world is so cruel. And even though you would, would love your family to help you continue the legacy of support and unconditional love for your child, you don't know if they can be capable of doing that too. So that's, that's always in the back of my head. It makes me a little bit sad sometimes, um, I know some parents that decided not to have a child anymore after their first child was diagnosed on the spectrum because once you're diagnosed, you have a 50% chance of having a sibling on the spectrum. But for my husband, yeah. So for my husband and I, we don't care about that. So we decided to have another one because we wanted my son to have a sibling. But now I honestly am feeling mom guilt for my second one because he tries very hard to be in my oldest's life, mm-hmm. but because my son's on the spectrum, he likes to be by himself. So my second one, I was telling my husband, like, maybe you should try it for a third one, just so we could, we could be fair for our second one. Because now we're feeling really bad for the second one. And I think that has to do with some of my mental health, like feeling like I'm not giving him the opportunity to be able to have another sibling to engage with, right? Right. right? And I don't want him to resent me. So I'm having some emotional stuff about that right now. Um, and I asked other parents that they felt this way too. And they said that that's so funny because I thought the opposite where I had multiple kids, but I had to give more love and attention to my child with special needs. Where for me, I'm worried about my second one, but he's only nine months and I don't know if he's going to be on the spectrum or not. But because he's so different from my first son, mm-hmm. like he's meeting all his milestones very early and he's so interactive and he just loves to like give you attention. We don't think he is, but again, we don't know, Yeah. but I'm just feeling that guilt that, that he doesn't have the, 
the same uh, attention-seeking stuff from another sibling, like how he wants to. Mm -hmm. So I am having a little bit of that guilt piece. Um, But, you know, I mean, some days it's hard. Some days it's easier. It depends on my kid's mood too. Like, and I try not to discipline him. I try to figure out what's causing him to have like a really bad behavioral day. And sometimes because he's just so tired, he can't communicate that or something that, might be in his eyes, like a lighting process. So, you know, I just approach things a lot differently than a person with a child without special needs. That's one thing that I had to learn on my own really quick. Um, It's still a learning process for me. And as he gets older, there's going to be like hormonal stuff with boys and like all these other things. And so I'm sure it's going to get harder. Um, I, I just don't think I'm... I don't want to think that far out yet because if I do, I get a little anxious. Yeah. So for me, self-care for mental health, um, I actually do seek uh, professional therapy just because I want to be a better mom mm-hmm. and I want to be better at my job. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to pass on like things that my kids may be experiencing if I don't address those issues with myself. Because right. like, I don't know about you, but as a first generation born here, my parents are refugees and we all know they had to go through a lot, mm-hmm. especially crossing the river, the trauma, the things they had to leave behind, their friends, their homes, their belongings. Right. But they don't ever talk about this stuff. But we see their suffering. And we see we see it daily because they always ask us just to continue to do good because they risked their life for these reasons that they couldn't have back in their home country. And because they don't talk about this and, and they don't heal from it, 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 it actually does pass down that historical trauma to us. Even though we did not experience the, the settlement of crossing a river, risking our lives and fleeing from a communist country, it still impacts us. And like from that perspective as a mom, I don't want any of my trauma and my mental health issues to be passed on to my children, right? right. So that's why I'm trying so hard to be better at myself mentally and physically because we can only take care of the, we can only take care of ourselves before we can focus on giving to everybody else. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, wow. yeah, that's my advice and yeah. my testimony on that piece. You've got so much going on, my G. So please just remember to be kind to yourself. And um, yeah, you know, you're doing you. you're doing you're doing everything you can to help yourself. And I again, I applaud you for that. Um, for number one, recognizing it, because I think a lot of times that's the biggest hurdle, is that a lot of mm-hmm. times we just can't even admit that we need help. Um, right. You know, because of course, once again, mental health is a is something that is not often talked about in our culture, and really, you know, even in the Western right. culture, it's just making it's you know it's just coming around. Um, right. So it's important to take care of that, especially with everything that you're you're dealing with, um, because I think what you, what you said earlier, you know, about you know the future of your son, about worrying about you know as he gets older, the different challenges that will come along. And I think we have to be aware of that as parents, um, and as someone who is ra- raising a child with autism. 
yeah, it's so important to take care of yourself so you can prepare yourself for the future because I'm very well right. aware of that as well. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's very important. And I'm glad that you, you are seeking help. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, right. You know, we all, we all could use the extra help. And I, I also agree with you on the, uh, the trauma that is embedded in our culture and that is mm-hmm. passed on from generation to generation. And uh, I often, I often uh, wish um, that the older generation would have gotten the help that um, mm-hmm. they needed. Because, you know, when you talk to, I don't know about your parents, but when I talk to my parents and the stories that they share, you know, I just go, how in the world do you function after that? Right. Um, you know, and, and it does get passed down onto us, and we get, um, we get the, the guilt of it, I guess. You know, you have to live the best life possible because of your parents' sacrifice for you. And right. that can be quite, um, you know, that can be some, uh, a big burden. I mean, not burden, but that could be, um, you know, something that is hard to live up to. Especially if you, yeah. you know, especially if you feel like you haven't done much with your life, um, or you know something of that, mm-hmm. of that accord. No. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad. Um, well, this, thank you. For thank sharing. you. for this opportunity just to talk about it, and I think sometimes some people are hesitant to share their lived experience, but. For me, it's because I want to create that opportunity to give people a um, a push or more of an encouragement to continue to fight the battle. And when I say battle, I'm talking about the stigma, the labeling, the barriers that you overcome as an individual and as a parent and as an advocate. So right. thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Well, thank you for, you know, talking to me, Chi, And I'm... Um... I would just like to remind you that, you know, even when you're down or when you you just worry about why you're doing what you're doing, um, just remember that no matter what, if you don't make any any strides in the community itself, which I which I would be, you know, I would say that you are, um, you're doing what you are doing for your son. And that's the most important thing that you can remember. Um, and I think as parents, we have so much to get over our own pride, um, all the cultural barriers to just remember that it's our children that's important and we have to get over our, mm-hmm. ourselves. Um, so I think, you know, when you're, you're feeling like that, just, just remember your son. And I think that's what, what will get you over it. But I know that the work that you do is important. So no matter what, just keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I just want to send out another big thank you to Mei-Chi for sharing her story and for being a voice for her son and her community. May we all have the opportunity in our own ways to create change and to do better. Thank you all again 
for joining me on this episode of Conversations. Thank you.